Hey there, listeners. My name is Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Art of Sales podcast. We've got some great guests lined up, ready to share sales insights on what your customer is really thinking, how to engage prospects the right way, what to do to inspire salespeople, and thoughts and tips on assembling a kick-ass sales team. With me today is Brian Carroll. Brian is a principal and sales professional with Mercer based in Morristown, New Jersey office. Brian is responsible for driving the growth of Mercer's health, career, and wealth businesses. Brian works with clients having between 200 to 5,000 employees spanning all industries. Brian's particular area of focus, however, is with tech startups in New York City and life sciences firms in New Jersey. Prior to joining Mercer in 2010, Brian had also held sales professional and business development positions with Ultimate Software, Jones Lang LaSalle, and ADP. Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you currently do at Mercer. So at Mercer, I'm a sales professional. And what does that mean? It's really helping drive the growth of the organization uh, in one of our three verticals, like you mentioned before, health, wealth, and career verticals. Uh, but most of what I do is getting out in the market and talking to organizations, talking to the heads of HR and the heads of finance around their current health benefits, brokerage, and consulting needs. And then if there's not an opportunity there, I'll pivot to some of the wealth and career services that we offer to see if those will resonate. But for the most part, really driving um, the growth within Mercer for our health practice and in the market, that's with the heads of HR and the heads of finance and how they um, design and, and execute their benefit programs. Excellent. So how did you get into sales? Can you give me a quick background about how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So out of college in 2002, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know that I was, you know, I, I liked being around people. I'm, I'm a social person. Uh, by nature. And I actually had a family member who was the, I was a pretty senior guy at ADP. And he thought, you know, he thought you'd be, I'd be pretty good at, uh, at doing entry level sales at ADP. And I really did enjoy it a lot. Um, they have a fantastic training program, fantastic onboarding program. And, you know, the office that I, that I was working in was a lot of young folks fresh out of college, uh, a lot of competitive personalities. Um, there was a lot of motivation, both, um, you know, just from the competitive side and also from, you know, the reward side, you know, with the, you know, the, comp the commission that would come along with it, but also like the trips that you'd go on and they would offer if you hit your goals. So I was immediately hooked once I got into entry level sales in 2003 and knew that this was a place I want, you know, there were waters I wanted to swim in. And then it grew from there with opportunities with Jones Lang LaSalle and Ultimate Software and eventually here at Mercer for the past eight years. Wow, that's, that's pretty excellent. So at least solid 15-year background in sales. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, sounds like it. So you did an internal survey with your sales professionals there at Mercer that we're going to discuss. Um, is there anything about that survey that you want to mention before we start with some of these questions? Yeah, one of our newer associates, uh, Tim Denman, uh, really sharp sales professional in New York City. Um, you know, He and I were chatting, and we recognized that there was an opportunity to you know, we are an evolving sales culture here at Mercer and we wanted to make sure that we were, um, that we were providing all the resources necessary to the newer associates because it's historically been a pretty long onboarding process 
anywhere from 18 months to 24 months for newer sales professionals to really start to feel like they um, were in a groove and, and producing. And we wanted to provide the newer sales associates with as many resources possible to, to help shorten that timeline, help them hit the ground and become productive faster. So we did an internal survey um, with much of the newer associates to kind of gauge their feedback on where were the opportunities for improvement in the onboarding process and even with the ongoing uh, role, how can, you, how can you produce faster and more quicker? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's awesome. So actually, I, I do this podcast and one of the things that comes up most often with successful sales leaders is the idea of continuous improvement that you always, sales is a huge uh, scope of field. There's so many things that you can work on, so many different strategies and skills to be worked on. And so therefore, continuous improvement is essential to success in this field. And so I'm really thankful that you, you know, asked to join the podcast and that you want to share some of this information with your folks over there. Um, so I've got a handful of key questions here that I want to hit real quick. The first one being, um, about how to sell uh, internally to larger organizations. And my question is, what is the importance of forging an internal network and building credibility early? It's tremendously important. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have um, some pretty available mentors when I first started here at Mercer in 2010. And uh, that was a lesson that they had passed along to me pretty early in my career of the importance of, you know, the internal cell. Uh, it's candidly at Mercer, probably more important than the external, or maybe a little bit more challenging than the external cell. Um, but you need to have a personal brand and you have to build an internal network. Um, and also in that, that, the credibility that you have, it's, it's, it's hard to shorten the timeline of, of building that credibility. I think it's just, it all comes back to, you need to, our job and our role here at Mercer for the sales professionals is to bring in new discussions with new organizations where we haven't had them before. And so that's, that's the fastest way to credibility is finding the opportunities that Mercer hasn't had in the past. And if you can do that quickly, you start to learn the nuances of the business and you start to work with more people internally, which, expands your network and provides you that credibility. But at the end of the day, it comes back to bringing in new logo opportunities. And so it, unless you can do that, you really can't shorten the timeline of building your network or establishing credibility. So it all comes back to finding the new opportunities for the organization, first and foremost. Ah, that's brilliant. I'm actually sitting here like writing notes on the side, scribbling things as you talk. So that's, that's brilliant. Credibility takes time and sales is all about trust, right? One of the things that you mentioned, I think is really, really important. And that was about having good mentors. So I understand that in this survey that you did, um, out of the respondents who had at least one mentor, their onboarding experience helped them to gain traction and credibility sooner than those without one. So I have a couple quick questions for you. And one is, what is your personal perspective on mentorship? It's a great question. So like I said before, I was fortunate to have some great mentors available to me when I started at Mercer in 2010. Some are still with the organization. Some have since moved on. 
but they all provided a pretty unique perspective on what it would take to be successful here at Mercer. And they've been successful before Mercer, at Mercer, and some of them beyond Mercer. Um, that said, I also worked for some other organizations that didn't provide that mentorship readily available, and my experience was vastly different. I do think that it's critical to new sales associates, new sales professionals at Mercer to, if you don't have one essentially assigned to you, because that's not what Mercer is about. We don't just, we don't have that type of uh, onboarding process where we assign mentors to everybody. Everyone has a, a people manager, a sales director, but um, you need to go and find your mentor. You need to go, you need to go ask a lot of questions and you start to do work with people in your office and, um, you, you need to, if you're, if you're not assigned a sales mentor, you need, you need to go find someone and, and be hungry and be, you know, be curious, ask a ton of questions. And um, at the end of the day, peop, everyone's busy and you need to make it worth everyone's while or keep, keep the time you're asking of your mentors limited. You can't abuse their time because everyone's extremely busy, but it's critical to have mentors both in the sales space and then in Mercer's world, we're a consulting firm. So our partners are, the, are our consultants. So you need mentors on both sides, both in the sales space and also in the consulting world. I'm really glad that you brought that up. I am personally a huge fan of mentorship. Um, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, joined the Marine Corps, but I was a knucklehead. I mean, I was an absolute knucklehead. And without mentorship, there's no chance that I would be where I'm at today. Mentorship is so important. And as you mentioned, mentorship's a two-way street, you know, you have to be a good mentee and the mentor also has to understand that it's not just, Oh, someone looking up to you or whatever. It's a real responsibility. You have to, you know, take the time to really take care of those people who are looking up to you, who are looking to you for mentorship. It's not, it's not a halftime thing. It's all intensive. And if you can do it properly, you can really influence the long-term outcomes uh, that people have while they're working for you and throughout life as well. Um, so you actually answered my second question about mentorship, which was going to be about whether you had received any mentorship at Mercer and how it affected you as opposed to before Mercer without mentorship. Um, so I'm glad that you, that you made note of that. Um, when you have mentors who can guide you along the process, uh, it really does make it much easier to do the onboarding, to understand what's going on and to speed up time to productivity and be successful. So, my next question for you then is I understand that you're a bit of an athlete. Is that right? Uh, I, I have an athletic background. I don't know that my current state <laughs> is athletic. Um, I have a young 11 month old baby boy that, uh, but yeah, I do have an athletic background, you know, played sports all growing up, played college lacrosse, uh, continued on to do, um, you know, got into triathlons when I was in my, uh, in my late twenties, early thirties. And, uh, I like to still think at the core I'm an athlete, but I'm just not as athletic right now as I used to be. Yeah, no, I can totally relate. So, so no worries there. But it's interesting to me because what I find is oftentimes people who have an athletic background who are used to the idea of competition and who are keeping their body in the right state, all of this stuff, they tend to perform better in sales. So how does having an athlete's mentality help someone to create a disciplined approach to prospecting and guiding deals through the sales cycle? That's a great question. So, you know, when I had gotten into sales at ADP straight out of college, you know, I quickly realized that everyone, regardless of their, whether they had an athletic or non-athletic background, 
everyone was competitive. And I think that's at the core of it. So you can be an athlete, you cannot be an athlete, but if you have a competitive nature, competitive drive inside of you, I think that's paramount and that's really a key indicator of sales success. Um, you know, personally, when I was at, you know, when I was in that, in that first job at ADP, you know, they had actually uh, dangled a carrot out in front of the salespeople said, Hey, we're going to give you this great referral bonus if you can find some good talent. And I, you know, having my college just around the corner at the university of Maryland, I was working in DC and I knew a bunch of athletes that were looking for jobs and they, um, three of them got hired. And so I positively affected my W2 that year by referring three associates into the organizations, all of whom were superior, you know, supremely competitive and, um, and driven. And they all did really well there for, for a couple of years. And I think that really um, spoke volumes to me and to the leadership that whether or not they were an athlete, the athlete was convenient and that was my network, but they were competitive, you know, to the core. And, um, you know, as I've grown in this profession, I've realized, you know, I've taken on different challenges and I, you know, like I said, got into triathlons, you know, some years back and I quickly learned there was a direct correlation to um, the work you do six to nine months, you know, the work you do today will directly affect your results in six, nine, 12 months down the road. So, um, you know, there is kind of that, uh, that, that payoff, you're not going to get, it's not an immediate gratification thing in the sales world. And it certainly isn't in the, in the athletic world either. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to be consistent in your approach and, you know, disciplined approach and whether you're training for an event or you're prospecting, and you're reaching out and you're building relationships with your, with your prospects. Um, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be consistent. And at the ult you know, ultimately you've got to be competitive because other people are doing the same thing with those same prospects. So you really need to be uh, mindful that uh, if, if you're not doing it, someone else is, and they're going to beat you to it. If you're, if you're not being consistent and disciplined in your approach. Yeah. Yeah. So Part of what you mentioned there really resonates um, in terms of athletics and such. You don't have to be like a super fit athletic person or whatever to do sales, obviously. But at the end of the day, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that sales is a team sport. It can be kind of an individual sport, right? Because, you know, uh, quota and hitting goals and everyone's competitive sort of individually. But all in all, at the end of the day, it's all about you need the entire organization, all of it, the, the finance, the marketing, the, the event management, the everybody to make sales successful. And if you have that mindset of being a team player, uh, I feel like it really makes great sales organizations. Um, and so on the topic of teamwork, I got a question for you. How can you assemble a team to guide a client through the entire life cycle? So it's a great question, but I want to back up to your comment about it being a team game because it certainly is. Um, and for any newer sales associates at Mercer, I'm sure they've learned it quickly that you're, we're on an island in the initiation of these relationships with prospects. But once we get traction with, you know, with deals, it's entirely a team sport and a team game. And that's where we referenced earlier the internal sell and having that personal brand and having that internal network and credibility is paramount because you want people to want to work with you. Our consulting partners are extremely busy, you know, servicing the accounts that they already have. So we need to be mindful of, of that and, and make sure that we're doing everything that we can 
to make sure that their time is being used wisely and efficiently on our pursuits. So it's entirely a team sport. And that's I really what I do love about it is that it, it is very individual in the sense that you need to go and drive and hunt, but you also have to um, have a great, a broader team around you. And you can't get there if you're just thinking selfishly. You got to be a team player in every sense of the word. And so how do you assemble a team uh, to go through, uh, you know, an entire you know, deal life cycle? Um, that, that it does come back to, um, you know, being mindful and, and having that internal credibility and having that internal network and those internal mentors to point you in the right direction. Um, but you have to have a high EQ as well. The IQ is great, but you have to have a high emotional quotient to understand what's driving your counterparts and what's going to make them feel like they're, they're, um, they're involved and their contributions are meaningful. And so they want to work with you. You have to have a high EQ in this business, both with your prospects. So you know, how to deliver the message and deliver the services, but even more so internally so that you can build a really good team and, you know, to deliver those to the clients. I'm so glad that you mentioned EQ. Um, so needless to say, in a prior life as a U.S. Marine infantryman, right, when I entered the world of business, I didn't have the highest EQ. And if you told me that having a high EQ was essential to success in business, I'd have probably laughed at you. But, you know, over the decade and change since I've been out of the military service, I've come to understand that absolutely what you said is spot on. You have to have an I, a high EQ in business because business is about relationships, right? You need to be able to form bonds with people. You need to be able to understand what, what another person is thinking or feeling. You need to be able to sympathize with their pain points, and show them that you really understand the situation that they're facing and what the difficulties are. So uh, this may be the first time that we've discussed EQ on the podcast, but I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. And I think that's the mark of a really great leader is to understand the importance of EQ. So, you know, I'll stop you there, David. It, there's a great, there's a great book. It's a Harvard business review overview. It's a, it's a guide to emotional intelligence. And it's something that I think every sales professional um, should, should read over because it, it, it really talks about self-awareness um, and, and, and it really harps on the importance of emotional intelligence and how it will be impactful for, um, for you as a professional, but also leading you know, teams of people. You don't just need to be a people manager to be, to be leading a team. And here at Mercer, the sales professional needs to lead the pursuit team on prospect and client pursuits. And so, um, you need to understand the nuances of, of how to lead a group, even though you're not technically, your role is not a people manager, but you're a sales professional that needs to lead that team and understanding what drives people and what's going, what they're going to value and what, you know, and how to, how to deliver your messages is paramount. So you need to, you know, I'll be the first to say, don't have a very high IQ at all, but, uh, but the EQ is something I think that, uh, you know, understanding people is a, is a good place to start. If you, if you, if you need to uh, compensate for a lower IQ, you better have a high EQ. <laughs> especially, especially in sales. Yeah, absolutely true. So I'm glad that you mentioned that HBR article. I'm going to see if I can either dig up a link or if you'll be willing to send me a link to it. Uh, Cause I'd like to post this in. I'm going to create a blog with the podcast. We'll throw that in there. Um, sounds like a really interesting read. Sure is. 
What have you found is the best way to speed up time to productivity for new hires? So, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a tricky question because um, when I came to Mercer, I had the unfortunate experience of being let go of my previous employer. And, um, you know, there were some politics involved, but I didn't give them enough reasons to, I didn't, I didn't make myself inexpendable, right? So I came to Mercer with a serious fire in my belly to, to be productive immediately and to never be expendable. And I tell you, it was a great lesson I learned, you know, eight, you know nine years ago. Um, but, and so that from time to productivity, I, you need to, as a new sales associate here, you need to hammer the phones. It is, there are certain basic tenets of sales that I think never go away with experience or time or tenure. And that's, you have to prospect. And everyone says it and every, you know, great sales guru will always say it. You have to dedicate time to prospecting. I think that's the fastest way at Mercer to productivity is bringing in new conversations because those are going, that's where you're going to learn our process. You're going to learn our, our value proposition in the marketplace, which you can read in, you can read on internal sites and you can read on, you know, sales decks and whatnot. You can, but it doesn't really make sense for many people until you see it in action and you can't see it in action until you bring in those new prospects, those new conversations for the company. So I think that's the fastest way is to just hammer the phones immediately when you get here, regardless of the background that you have, you need to be actively prospecting. Now that said, you can also speed it up by having, by seeking out great mentors. If you're not assigned one early on, or maybe you're just not getting the value out of the one that you're currently working with, broaden the network internally, you know, reach out to people, take them for a cup of coffee, but you need to you know, learn what's valuable to, um, to each of your mentors and, for them to help you understand what's valuable to the market. Um, I think having a good mentor, but also hammering the phones and bringing in the new opportunities are the fastest way to speed up time to productivity. But it really, I think can only be so condensed because there is, there is a period of learning that has to, has to take place here at Mercer, certainly. And I'm sure with any organization, there is a period of learning that you have to kind of go through. So um, you can certainly speed it up, but I don't think that it can be completely cut in half or completely shortened. I think it needs to be uh, respected that the products, the services, the solutions, the strategies that we're positioning to the market are things that need to be intimately understood before you can effectively communicate their value proposition. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So know your product is kind of one of the, one of the essential rules, but for pretty much any organization, knowing your product takes time right? Absolutely. Which, which makes what you mentioned again about mentorship that much more essential. And I don't think that it's even necessarily sales in particular, but literally any career anywhere, find someone that you respect and latch on and just say, Hey, I look up to you. You know, will you teach me? People will be flattered and they'll say, yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy to. And, you know, you can find you're absolutely right, David. And there, and there are so many of those resources. If it's, if it's not personal, if you don't have them readily, there's so many resources that are out there just on, on the web and you can go on to, you can follow Tony Robbins. You can follow Gary Vaynerchuk. You can follow some fantastic, you know, professionals that have been uber productive and maybe not in your necessary, your specific career, but the insights that they have and can pass forward 
are, are tremendously valuable. I mean, you can, you can go to, you know, military leaders, you can go to business leaders, you can go to, um, there, there's so many resources that are out there just to, to find little nuggets. Cause like you said earlier, we always have to be, we have to always be learning and always developing. And even the little nuggets that you can find, whether it's on LinkedIn posts or, you know, things you can read on the web, they're reminders, you know, they may not be, you know, you know, 200 you know, page uh, books, but they're reminders, daily little, little nuggets that you can take and put into action daily. So if you don't have a mentor, you can find them on the web, I'm sure. Things are gonna help you succeed, uh, whether it's, you know, so you, you have opportunities, whether they're internal or external. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back again to what we said initially about uh, sales being a process of continuous improvement. And if you're continuously improving, then you are making the team itself much more effective and therefore enhancing the team sport that sales is, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the first thing that you mentioned also struck with me, I was, I was motivated by it. I think the hairs were standing up on my arms because you, you mentioned the importance of having some fire in the gut, you know, making yourself inexpendable to your organization. And yeah. I think that that is huge. Everyone has... Uh, personal skills or personal attributes that nobody else on the team has that they need to understand how to leverage and how to use for the better good of the organization. Everyone's unique. Everyone brings something to the table, find out what yours is and make use of it. And the team will respect you for it in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so how important is goal setting and performance tracking for employees? It's tremendously important. You need to, you can't, you can't, um, you have to know what you're shooting for. You can't just fly blind. Uh, it doesn't work. So you need to have a goal. You need to have, you know, you need to, everyone in every sales organization will be assigned a quota. So that's the first goal and that's unavoidable. So now that's, that's a small goal that you have um, relative to, I think I say small goal because it's relative to your personal goals, right? So the organization is going to set forth a quota for you. And that's your immediate goal. But then how do you get there? There's a, there's a number of smaller goals that need to be met in order for you to achieve your broader goal of, you know, of hitting and exceeding your quota, but then maybe even your bigger goal of hitting your own number that you put forth and you set for yourself. And I think that's pretty much uh, for all the highly productive sales folks I know both within Mercer and externally as their goal is always bigger than the goal that has been set forth for them by the organization but they don't just get there by saying, that's my number, I'm gonna go hit it. There's a number of things they do, whether or not they've written it down on paper, or it's just things they do because they've, they've, they've done it over time and it's become second nature. There's a number of small goals that they're hitting in the process to make sure that they're hitting that quota, hitting that earnings level they want to achieve um, and exceeding the number. So it, the, it's, it's tremendously important, but it's not just the big goal, it's of the quota and your personal goal. It's the number of small goals that you have to set, you know, whether it's daily, number of calls, number of meetings, um, number of deals in process, number of new conversations, number of new resources to become a better and more well-rounded professional, the number of small goals that'll get you to that bigger goal. Absolutely. You know, that is a sign that you are hiring well. When you have employees and their personal goals are even higher then the goals the organization or their manager is setting for them, that's really honestly a sign that you're hiring well. And hiring is one of the most important things that any organization does. 
You get the right people. You get those people with the fire in their gut, with the desire, the dirt, the determination to succeed and to excel and to blow their quota out of the water, right? To go far above and beyond what's expected of them. That's a sign that you're bringing the right people into the organization. So I guess that goes back to what we talked about with onboarding, right? That here's your sign that, yep, we did right. We found the right people. You know, we made the right choices. Um, so let's talk a little bit about feedback and development. What is the most effective way to provide feedback and development to new sales reps? So people need to be willing and they have to be ready to receive constructive feedback typically. So you can't, I think it needs to be done in a, and everyone is, and every, it's entirely personal how people are going to react to feedback. I think that this kind of comes back to some of the athlete mentality and that you need to be coachable in a sales environment in a sales professional role. You need to understand that you know, there has to be a bit of humility that you're not perfect just because you were hired at an organization. You're not, you're not an ace on day one. So there needs to be an openness to receiving feedback and it needs to be coachability. Uh, and you know, you need to be, but as, as the person providing feedback, you need to be able to, um, to deliver a message at the right time and the right manner um, that it's going to be received and ultimately acted upon well. And so I think it's just, you need to set the expectation that feedback will be coming, whether it's on a regular cadence or even if it's in a conversation, it can be something as simple as, can I give you some feedback? It just gives someone at least a second to, to prepare themselves uh, to receive some constructive feedback. But I think it's a two-way street. People need to be um, humble, modest, and open to receiving the feedback and willing to act on it. But as uh, for those that, you know, that are providing it, whether it's a mentor, a peer, a people manager, sales, rep, sales manager, um, needs to be done so in a, in a mindful uh, and constructive way. And just really setting the right expectation that, hey, I'd like to provide some for you. But at the end of the day, free advice is sometimes, I heard this in a song, free advice is worth what you pay. So, uh, so sometimes people need to also realize that, you know, constant feedback is not always required either. You should, you know, people right. providing it need to pick and choose their battles. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a big difference between feedback and micromanagement. Nobody likes micromanagement, right? That's, that's As I said, is. hire the right people, set clearly defined goals for them, and then let them off the leash and say, go get it. You know You're what absolutely I mean? right. I mean, it's, I think, you yeah, it's absolutely true. It's one of the intrinsic motivators of, and why people go into sales in the first place is, is for the autonomy. You know, if you people want to know that if you're doing your job well and producing, that there's not someone telling them how to do their job differently um, or completely differently, I should say, because you can always have areas of improvement, but people like the autonomy. They like to be able to, you know, set their goals, small goals, big goals, and go achieve them. And so, um, yeah, you don't want to be micromanaged, but there is, there's, there's certainly, and I'm, I'm certainly, you know, one that's I'm, tons of areas of opportunity for myself to improve. And I, and I, I, you know, I think it's simple though, as a sales professional, you have to seek it. You have to be the proactive person going, looking for feedback. You know, often after many of the deals we go on, even with people I've worked with for eight, nine years, I'll say to them, you know, what, what could I have done differently? What could we have done differently as a team to improve that discussion? Um, and you have to be your own worst critic. Otherwise, there's going to be a few people waiting in line to give you some constructive feedback. That's, that's totally true. 
One of the things that you mentioned earlier, I actually wrote down in blue Sharpie in all capital letters and I put a box around it and that was be coachable. And I don't even have anything to add to that. That alone, those two words, sum it up, be coachable. It's perfect. Yeah. And it's a lesson I had to learn the hard way because even you know, as a young, young athlete and even early, my early college years, I, you know, um, I wasn't. And, and it, there were lessons and lessons I learned from coaches. And then even in my sales career from, from previous managers and mentors that um, you need to, you have to be willing to accept it and you have to seek it out. You know, the, the constructive feedback and the, the guidance, because there's a lot to learn from, from a lot of people out there, but you have to be coachable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even likewise, not to sidetrack, but as a young Marine, I'd always wanted to be in the military. I'd read every book there was, I, all this stuff, you know, I got into the military and I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And my team leaders and stuff, we, you know, we deployed to Iraq, we're on deployment. And I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I got this. <laughs> and I wasn't that coachable. And they dragged me aside. They're like, no, man, look, <laughs> you, you may think that you know what you're doing, but we've been here. We've done this. You got to listen. All right. And that, that, was a, that was a big lesson. Okay, be coachable. Boom, you, know, you got it's it. Funny. It's funny you mentioned that. And I think back to like there's a scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon and Robin Williams where he says, you probably think, Robin Williams says to him, you probably think you know something about the Sistine Chapel because you saw it in a painting once, but you've never looked up at it and seen the colors and see how they pop, you know, something to that effect. And until you experience something, you can read all about it, but you need to experience it. But, um, and then in those experiences, you need to, like we keep saying, you need to be coachable on, on how those experiences can improve over time. But yeah, you need to, the experience is paramount, um, but, and, and you need to be coachable on how to improve them. Yep. Yeah. Let's real quickly dig into a last set of questions that I've got for you here. Shoot. So one of the things that I'm huge on are the ideas of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, which I'm sure that pretty much everyone is familiar with, but Intrinsic motivation, meaning I feel it on my inside. I am, I am inwardly motivated to achieve this because I am connected to it. I want to achieve it. And extrinsic motivators being also very powerful, but I do it because I want to, you know, receive a trophy or be top on the leaderboard or get a little extra bonus in my paycheck or receive a gift or a prize, an award, whatever. Um, so, what can you do to make sure that your sales staff is motivated by more than just awards or compensation? Interesting question. So more than just awards and compensation, I think, you know, when we talk about motivation of a sales professional, I think that, you know, the intrinsic motivation and ex extrinsic motivation, they are both entirely personal and they are certainly connected. You know, what drives me as a father of a young child and another one on the way might be very different from what drives someone else um, in the organization. So, but my intrinsic motivation, I mean, I need nothing more than to, you know, wake up and see my son to know that I need to go do my job today so I can provide for his current state and his long-term future, at least for the next 20 years. Um, and so, you know, the intrinsic motivation is entirely personal, but I think there are a couple of common themes that most salespeople um, would agree with in that, you know, there's autonomy, like I mentioned earlier, there's a sense of belonging. Um, some organizations, the sales group is kind of seen as this other division versus a group that's 
part of the team. And I think any salesperson, uh, whether they have an athletic background or not, they like to have us, anyone wants to belong and they want to be part of a, a group um, typically. Yeah, sales, you're on an island and certainly at Mercer, you're on an island until you start to get these deals going, but then you're part of the team and you never want to feel like you're, um, like that you're not part of this core unit that's going to drive success. So I think belong, that, that sense of belonging um, and social interaction. I mean, I think any, most salespeople are by nature social beings. I mean, otherwise, why do you go into a profession where you're going to be talking to people all the time? And so that uh, ability to network within your own organization, within your own sales team, whether it's a local team or a national team or regional team, having opportunities to occasionally get together and talk about, you know, deals, talk about what's going on in life, just connect with people, I think is great and certainly a motivator. And, uh, and many great sales organizations and sales cultures understand that you need to get people together. They need to have some sort of relationship. Um, because I think it also comes back to the competitive nature. You know, when those monthly you know, reports come out and showing you who the sales leaders are, you know, if you know you're going to see that person in three or four months, you're going to want to have, you know, you're going to want to, you know, be the top of the board or at least beat your buddy that might be in another state or another location. So um, the intrinsic motivation, I think those are some common themes, you know, autonomy, uh, social interaction, um, and sense of belonging. And then also for the extrinsic motivation, I think that's, that's paramount. I mean, people go into sales because they want to earn a good living. And so I think you can't, you know, they can't, you can't avoid it. Um, there needs to be a competitive compensation plan. And I think most organizations do reward those that highly produce. And, um, but you know, you have to tie it back to some sort of intrinsic motivator. And I'll tell you personally, for me, there's nothing more I need to see than my, uh, my 11 year old, 11 month old boy and, uh, and the other child we have on the way due in August. So uh, a lot of intrinsic motivation there to, uh, to continue to sell and continue to produce for their future. Man, first of all, congratulations on your, uh, your child that's on the way. That's Thanks. awesome. Thanks. Uh, so the wife and I have our first on the way due in mid-September. And we are crazy stoked for that. Fantastic. Uh, so it's, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gift and it's, a, it's an amazing ride. And I tell you, the last 11 months have been special and, and you're going to see that soon. And, uh, and I, I think it's going to be uh, even more so uh, special and, and even wilder of a ride in August when our second shows up and and the first yeah. one is just learning to walk. It's gonna, we're going to be busy. <laughs> yep, absolutely. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that you, you hit an absolute bullseye on that question and the way that you answered it um, with internal and external, <laughs> intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, I mean, they're both essential. Intrinsic motivation is, of course, the more powerful one because it means you do it because you want to do it. But they both have to be personal. So, for instance with an extrinsic motivation, um, if someone is, if I'm the salesman of the quarter, for instance, and my manager's like, oh, great job, here's a PlayStation 3, 4, whatever number they're on these days, I clearly don't play video games, right? And that's not motivating for me. I'm gonna be like, okay, cool, what do I do with it? It's gonna sit in a corner somewhere. Right. Um, whereas if they give me something that's even a quarter of the price, but is meaningful to me, I'll be way more stoked. They give me like a, a pass to go to a mountain bike park for the weekend or whatever. And I'll be like, this is the greatest gift ever. You know what I mean? Or someone who likes wine, get them a nice bottle of wine. But it's super important with both intrinsic and extrinsic awards, rewards to sit down with somebody 
and find out, okay, you specifically, like what motivates you? What do you want to see? Do you want to see a little extra on the paycheck? Do you want a little more time off to spend with the family? Do you want, what, you know, what can we motivate you with? And then with intrinsic motivation, you nailed it as well. So there's an entire science behind this. And you basically nailed all of them. But with intrinsic motivation, it's purpose, mastery, autonomy, and connectedness. If you can provide those things, purpose in terms of I know why I'm here, I feel like I, what I do with this job is important to me, and I understand why. Uh, mastery in terms of I'm continuously bettering myself, improving my skills, uh, moving up in terms of, uh, of how well I, I accomplish my mission. Uh, autonomy meaning I've got some flexibility to do it in a way that I feel is I'm using my own creativity, my own passions to get something done is very important. And of course, connectedness with your colleagues, your, uh, your customers, et cetera. I feel a connection to them. Sure. So that you knocked out of the park and I loved it. So I want to say thanks for that. Um, my next question was going to be, what's the most meaningful and effective type of motivation? But I guess we've, uh, we've crushed that one. So let's do this. Uh, I'm going to move us into a closing round. Usually the closing round is kind of like a lightning round, really fast answers, but we've got a, a little bit of time left. So you can feel free to take one or, one or two of these a little bit longer if you'd like. Question number one for the closing round, Brian, what motivates you in life? You know, I've never really thought to the core what motivates me in life. It's really, at the end of the day, it all comes back to my wife and my son. And, and I felt like I was just coasting prior to, uh, prior to meeting my wife and, uh, and enjoying myself. And, you know, I think what motivates me is just is new adventures. And whether that means, you know, Completing an Ironman, you know, I, I was lucky enough to travel to Tanzania and climb Kilimanjaro and follow that up with a beer at Oktoberfest, just new adventures. Um, and so, um, and then also meeting my wife, you know, it, th these are all new adventures, having a child, starting a family. It's, uh, but I've never really thought to the core what motivates me in life. And, and I guess that's really it is just, just new adventures. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good way to sum it up. I mean, I would say that the constant pursuit of something meaningful, right? You that's seem great, like you're a great way to put clever. it. Yeah, you, you seem like you're very clever at finding out what's important to you in life and saying, this is what I want. I'm going to chase after it. And then just like in sales, right? Here's my goal. I'm going to chase it. Why? Because the chase is fun. You know, and, I want to have goals to chase. And that's, that's actually one of the things. And that when I always, you know, when I thought about, you know, someone once asked me, why do I even love sales? And it was because the hunt, the chase, and it was, that's fun for me. And it's, it's the, every new engagement is a new adventure. And so, well, I've never thought about the question, what motivates me in life? It does tie back to my professional choice as well on, on what I do for a living. It's, it's a new adventure. And so, yeah, it's, um, they're a lot of fun, whether, whether it's professional or it's social and personal. Yeah, absolutely. So in that case, what do you wish was different about sales? Is there anything that you would change? I do think, and I, I never really give much credence to what cynics and critics will, will think or say, but I do think that there is a stigma to sales 
which at times when I'm in social conversations, I wish didn't necessarily exist. You can tell someone you're a lawyer and they immediately think or know you're smart because you went to law school. If you're a doctor, they, you're smart because you, you know, went to med school. Um, you're a professional athlete. Well, you are strong and you are athletic. If you're in the military, well, you've got, you know, courage for days and a, and a sense of, um, of doing something bigger than yourself, right? With sales, you don't have any of that. You have like, oh, well, that was just because you didn't know what else you wanted to do. And some of that's true. But I think those of us that um, continue to choose as a profession, because it's something that you choose. I, you know, you have to continue to make that choice every single day when you get up and go do your job. Um, you have to, it's a choice that you make, but I do sometimes wish the social stigma wasn't such that, oh, well, it's not as valuable or as cool as some of the other things that other people might do. But like I said, that's just noise on the outside and you got to just block out the noise and do you, you know? And I think that's where, you know, that's just a, a mantra for life too, is just do you, don't worry about the other nonsense that's going on. But there is a social stigma and maybe less respect because there are plenty of bad salespeople out there, the very greedy people out there that give the profession a bad, a bad name. And, um, you know, there's the saying, you know, you know, people refer to people as used car salesmen. Well, that just, that, that's disparaging really good used car salesmen, but people use it as a derogatory term. And so I do wish that was different, but at the end of the day, it's just noise and you need to block it out and go do you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I've covered the stigma of sales previously, but I've never heard a response that was quite so eloquent or in depth. So that was, that was awesome. I liked that a lot. I wish I you had, I wish you had heard something that was more eloquent than that, but uh, <laughs> this will have to do, I guess. So. You'll, you'll have to listen to this, this podcast when it's finished. I think you'll be impressed with your own answer. That was, that was pretty in depth. That was good. Um, yeah. I mean, sales is an interesting thing. So if I'm sitting down and it's six or 7 PM and I'm having dinner with the wife and my phone rings and I answer it and it's, it's a sales call. Like, yeah, of course, you know, that's sales is getting a bad, it's getting a stigma, right? Or for a reason, of course, there are people out there who have been, you know, untrustworthy car salesmen or whatever, who have given the profession itself a bad name. But what I tell people is that within sales, each person, each person's individual goal should be to remove the stigma of what most people think of when they hear the word sales. And that instead, you should work so hard with your craft that when people hear the word sales from your mouth, they should think trust, knowledge, advocacy, and things like this, right? I mean, wh why not? You're absolutely right. I think, and I think that's effective in, in a lot of our sales discussions that we have here at Mercer is, um, yeah, our title is sales professional, but just by doing the things that you need to be doing every day, internally and externally, um, you can you can change that perception and that understanding and that, that opinion of sales um, so that people do hear, do hear th those things like trust and advocacy because those are, those are, are key tenets to the relationship. And so um, while there is that social stigma, it's certainly not something that you can't overcome with your own personal commitment to your craft. Yeah. Yep. So speaking of your craft, um, how do you define success there at Mercer? And what are the primary metrics that you measure 
on the path to success? Personally at Mercer, I mean, yeah, like we talked earlier about goal setting and, and having goals. Yeah, there's goals set forth for me and, and I, I, I'm committed to achieving those goals. And um, so that's, that's, you know, that's the success measure one is did you hit the goals that were set forth to you by the organization? And then even bigger, the goals that I set forth for myself. But more so than the quota and the sales that we achieve, the goal, you know, the success for me is uh, being able to grow the teams that I work with and the people that want to work with me on deal pursuits, because that's the ultimate measure I think of success within Mercer is if you can't get people to want to work with you, then you're doing something wrong and everyone is busy. But if they, if you can find what's rewarding our counterparts and give them some sort of motivation to work with you on, on deal pursuits, um, that will be an ultimate, um, indicator of success. Yeah. You can, hit your goals and you have to hit your goals. That's paramount. I mean, that's kind of table stakes. You have to achieve your quotas, but you, you have to, um, you have to engage people and you have to have people want to work with you on deal pursuits because it's a team game. It's a team sport. And, um, so in order to be successful, you got to find those people that will be great internal partners and help you move the needle on the sales goals. Um, so that's really the, you know, the, the defining success is, Achieving your numbers, but you can't do it unless you have people that want to work with you. So first, really get people to want to work with you by doing all the things we mentioned earlier, whether it's finding mentors, establishing an internal brand, you know, establishing credibility because you're doing the right things over and over again to drive, you know, to drive growth. And that will get people to want to work with you and you'll achieve your goals as a result. Now that's, that's well said. Any manager whose core focus is on the development of their people, understanding not just workers, not just colleagues, not just whatever, but a manager who is focused on the development of their people as people. That is a, a sign of a true leader. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes is that leaders don't make followers. Leaders make more leaders. Absolutely. I've been lucky to be around many different, really high quality leaders in a variety of different walks of life. And what I've found time and time and time again is the ones that I look up to the most are the ones who empower those around them to step up and be leaders as well. So that's, Absolutely. that's excellent. Absolutely. Do you have a personal philosophy or any personal mantras with regards to sales? I wouldn't say any specific, maybe there's two, there's two that I keep in my office that, um, as my daily reminders, you know, um, one on my wall and one's on my desk and, and the one on my desk is a framed photo of a, of a football, an old beat up tether, you know, leather football, uh, with a helmet behind it. And it just says the word effort in big, bold letters. And underneath it is a Vince Lombardi quote, uh, Vince Lombardi, great Packers, legendary coach. Um, and, it says, I firmly believe any man's finest hours when he lies exhausted on the field of battle, dot, 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 victorious. And so that's, and that, it's not about winning like the game necessarily, but it's about the effort you put forth to win the game, right? So my brother had given that to me, who was also, like you, a Marine. Uh, my brother was a captain of the Marine Corps for four years uh, back in the late 90s. And he had given that to me when I first started my first job out of college. And it's been on my desk ever since. And it's something I try to 
keep in mind, it's right next to the phone. I've always kept it next to the phone to uh, remind me that that's where it starts and ends in the sales career. And the sales profession is, you got to put the effort in with the phone. Um, it's not going anywhere. It's, 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 a, it's a foundation of, of the sales profession. Um, the other mantra that I also keep is just one that I've always thought was pretty cool is the, um, it's the around about the sun rising in Africa and every day and a lion and a gazelle will both wake up and the lion knows that it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. The gazelle must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Either way, when the sun comes up, you better be running. Ha. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, so on that note, just in this podcast alone, you've given me two pearls of wisdom that I'm going to go hang up on my desk. Literally. The first one sales is a team sport and that's super important. And the second one, be coachable. Mm -hmm. Those are two huge takeaways from this chat uh, that I'm going to go and put on my desk. So my last question for you before we part ways here, where can folks go to learn more about Mercer? Mercer is a global organization. We're part of the Marsha McClendon family of companies. Um, there's plenty of information out there on the web. You can go to mercer.com to learn more about our organization. And for any of those sales uh, folks that are listening to your podcast, if they're interested in sales opportunities, those are all listed on the Mercer website as well. Um, certainly hope, uh, there will be some great candidates uh, in your in your world in your community that are that are hungry to uh, to produce and uh, and if they are mercer.com they can find opportunities. Sounds like an excellent organization. And if potential applicants have the opportunity to have a leader such as yourself when they enter the sales field and start their career there, I tell you what, you better go on that website, sign up. You know, Ryan. and that, I appreciate you saying that, David. But just to be clear, if they came to Mercer, they would be my peer. And, uh, and I would be, I could potentially be a mentor and, and just a person to help a lending hand from time to time, but I don't manage people at Mercer. Um, but I, but I, I like to just be part of the team, you know, sales is an individual sport, but it's also a team sport, like we've said. And, um, so I will always be a peer and, uh, and potentially a mentor to anybody that's uh, either internal or external. That's an excellent clarification. I'm glad that you added it. Brian, I can't say thanks enough. I've got literally an entire pad scribbled full of notes here from our conversation that I'm going to go and dig deeper into. I hope that others have as well. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Right, David, thanks for having me on. I hope this was helpful for you and your community and also to our internal folks here at Mercer uh, for the newer sales associates. I uh, hope it was certainly helpful, but thanks for, thanks for the time. All right. Cheers, Brian. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art of Sales, brought to you by SalesScreen. Key takeaways can be found in the show notes section. If you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please email me at david at salescreen.com. Or if you're simply interested in finding the best sales motivation tools on the planet, you can visit www.salescreen.com. Remember, never stop at good enough when you can be great. Great.